guys are grown let's go ahead and get in uh yeah we supposed to go in today what's up y'all it's your boy hilliard guest you guys are listening to the screenwriters rant room will we keep it real we keep it opinionated we keep it what lisa I see you about to not say no. No, I'm just saying. I, I realize again. It's like you're still bringing the Kit Kats and the candies <laughs> and the Doritos, and we and had, I haven't had not a and one. we've had this discussion before that you're just my enabler, <laughs> and I'm tired of it. <laughs> By the time we be done, she'll be having a pile of just sitting over there. That's terrible. <laughs> Yeah, my Pellegrino water just just not matching with this candy over here. <laughs> <laughs> but we keep it 2016 on here. You know, we don't keep it 100 because we're too cool for that. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> on the show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture. But our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. You hear that guy? I hear everything. Did you, you hear said. that shit? <laughs> I don't understand a word you said, but I hear it. <laughs> So y'all hear him? That's Guy, my man over there. We'll get we'll introduce him in a second. So my girl, mm-hmm. Lisa Lisa Colt Jam. Mm-hmm. We call her. Remember that group, Lisa Lisa Colt Jam? Yeah. You better remember it. Oh See? my God. He ain't but 19 he anyway. Look at him. Yes. <laughs> all, vamp- all these vampires hanging out. Look at him. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, good Lord. That's Lisa over there, Lisa Bolakaja. We call her the street nerdist. Why we call you that? Uh because sometimes you have to like bring it to people <laughs> on a street else? grimy level. Mm-hmm. And what else? And be respectable if you need to be in an academic standing. This <laughs> uh, is a shout out to uh, you know my long standing feud. Who the oh Linnell? He's on my Linnell. Mm-hmm. Our friend Linnell White. She used, she used to be one of the writers on um, um, was it Z Nation? Z Nation. Z-Nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Linnell. May 6th is coming. <laughs> you got to tell God your feud now. Everybody she needs to tweeted to me like a picture of, because she's Team Cap, I'm Team Iron Man. <laughs> uh, guy, whose team are you on? And speak carefully <laughs> when you answer. Team Groucho. Team Groucho. Uh, okay. Very good. Good answer. <laughs> good say. So anyway, it's coming up May 6th. So I want to make sure, Linnell, I'm ready for you. Because we got to go, see, we, girl, we got to go see this movie together. We may have to sit across from each other. In the aisles with our with our glasses of wine as we sit here and see the battle commence, but it's on. It'll be here soon. Soon mm-hmm. come May six. That's what's up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's Lisa Bowler College over there. So if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get it in. Mm-hmm. So today, so today I got my man Guy Nucalucci on the show. Did you did he say your name right? He did. I am so proud of you. He says it better than I, can I do. Spell every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the hood, but I can pronounce some shit. Mm-hmm. So my man Guy Nucalucci. So I met Guy on the education committee. Um, a few months ago and um, I remember when I first met him one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is you're really interesting here's why Guy comes from a comedy background mm-hmm. so he has that 
type of humor where you never say anything unless you're going to say something fucking hilarious or he's making a really important point. So when guy speaks, I'm always like, what do you got to say? I'll be listening. I'll be watching your ass. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take my hand off my wallet. Okay. <laughs> Fine. Give me that $10. Give me that $10. Um, but you're really interesting. I told you since the first time I met you, I was like, I want to have you on the show. There's you something do. interesting about this dude. And um, so we got my man, Guy Nicolucci here, you guys. Writer, um, comedy writer um, from the Emmys, from a whole bunch of different talk shows, all kind of shit. I had to laugh because I read your bio. You mm-hmm. said failed journalist. Yes. How, how were you a failed journalist? Like what? What constitutes a failure well, as a that. journalist? Uh, six years at Us Magazine. Oh, you were at Us Magazine. Oh, you were at Us. Oh. Now, I, the fact is, I'm not really good at going out and at, talking to people that don't want to talk to me. <laughs> I, okay. I'm better at staying home and making up stuff. Okay. Okay. Or talking to people that do want to talk yeah. to me. Uh-huh. That makes sense. So that when I was sense. like chasing around county council meetings and trying to talk to zoning people that didn't want to talk to me, I didn't want to talk to them either. <laughs> so um, by the time I left my first newspaper, they hadn't caught me yet, but I was like making up feature stories. Mm. And I just... It was, Creative writing. There you go. <laughs> They're like, all these stories about thought, tragedy are funny all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> Did that really happen? I don't remember seeing that. Exactly. <laughs> so let's tell the kids where you come from, where you, where you grew up, you know, right. how you got into the game. All right. Well, um, uh, my dad is Air Force, so we lived all over the world and uh, okay. lived in Italy for about four years, which nice. was like my formative influence. I mm-hmm. uh, came to consciousness there watching um this is before italian tv was uh, deregulated <laughs> which you know now is like women taking off their shirts yes. on game shows yes <laughs> but back then it turned into japan okay. didn't it? Yeah, exactly <laughs> but back then it was like the only tv you could watch was like old american movies yeah. oh, okay. you know some of them from yugoslavia with mm-hmm. italian subtitles mm-hmm. right? just depending on which way your uh, antenna was going <laughs> but every thursday was charlie chaplin day oh so that was my introduction to comedy was okay. you know a guy who wasn't dead then but would be shortly mm. <laughs> so anyway we came back to the states and my dad uh got assigned to washington dc okay and then he kind of did the shuttle there there's like there's the pentagon there was bowling mm. air force base so we kind of settled in that area went to high school there then i uh had to go to college, so I went to journalism school because I didn't know how else you made money. Because mm-hmm. I didn't want to write. I just wanted to read. Uh, but nobody pays you to I read. Know. Were you an avid reader or a kid? I still am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love to read. I, mm-hmm. You know, I just, who needed friends? <laughs> <laughs> who needs friends? Yeah. I got books. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nothing personal to you, Vicente. <laughs> my, this is my best friend from uh, sixth grade, uh, Vince Lozano, <laughs> sitting across the room. I don't need him. So... <laughs> <laughs> Which is why you only come once okay. a year, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, so I went to journalism school, and um, I really should have failed out. But I actually, I um, my first big story in the paper, I managed to um, get the cop's name wrong. Oh, really? Yeah, it was a story, great story. But this uh, guy came to the jailhouse to visit one of his kin who had been arrested. Mm-hmm. And the guy behind the counter goes, oh, this is one of them peckerhead, whatever their last names is. Mm-hmm. Got to be some paper on him. <laughs> sure enough, outstanding warrant. Mm-hmm. And so I had my cute little story, jail visitor uh, stays a little longer than expected, you know. <laughs> but I, So I called up and I said it was uh, Officer McNear. And uh, what's his first name? And they said, oh, O.T. McNear. And I go, oh, great. And then it turned out that O.T. was this police legend, and he had this kind of worthless son who worked mm. in the jailhouse named oh, Jay. Really? So I had a fact error 
in my first story, which is <laughs> verboten. Yeah, oh, man. that's a curse. Huh? Yeah, kiss of death or whatever. Okay, so that would kind of set my course for my journalism career. <laughs> <laughs> it was writ. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so then, a couple jobs back in D.C. at small county papers, glorified mm-hmm. shoppers, mm-hmm. and then I said, you know, I just wanted to get to New York. Mm-hmm. You know, I just. Didn't know why. I just knew right. I wanted because I knew it was a black and white city where the men wore fedoras. <laughs> and you sat on the uh, fire escape and watched Leo Gorsi, you know. That's the, that's the New York I was trying to move uh-huh. to. So I got a job at this outfit called the American Banker, which was a daily banking newspaper. Okay. And um, it just I, sounds so boring. It was <laughs> so boring. It was the Daily Banker. Like, <laughs> it was in this office overlooking the harbor, and you could see the ships going in and going out. And if I were a novelist, this would be <laughs> you know be perfect, a, right? a major part. <laughs> it was so damn boring, and I was bad at. It. I was bored, and I wasn't. Re- I was a copy editor, and I really wasn't learning the banking lingo. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking for another job. And this is about. I was just happy. I was in New York, so mm-hmm. about six months in. I got a job, or actually, I was interviewed at Us Magazine, mm. which was actually a little different than it is now. It had long interviews as opposed to the, the short little poppy right, photos. Right. Was that was that what everybody was trying to do, like Playboy and and, and you remember those big articles? Were exactly. Was everybody trying to copy that style or something? Exactly. Or you know okay. the you know big glossy pictures mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And so <clears throat> I went in and I took their copy editing test, and I really was bad at it. I realized. <laughs> But this is now, this is pre internet kids mm-hmm. and um, pre cell phone. This is 1989, I think. Okay. And so they give me the test, and that was me clapping my hands because you can <laughs> see that on the uh, podcast. And so, and they put me in an office. They, some, one of the editors wasn't there. They put me in her office mm-hmm. and they shut the door. And I'm looking at this and I'm realizing I don't know how to spell dirigur. I don't know what's wrong with this sentence. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell to do. Mm. And then I see the phone. And I go, I'll bet if I dial nine, I can get an outside line. Hmm. See, I made the pushing the nine thing with my finger, too. Yes. Hold that to the camera. Because <laughs> yes. everybody can see you. Right? Yeah. And so I dialed nine one three zero one eight six eight four zero two seven, which was my parents' number. And my mother was an English teacher. Hmm. And I said, Mom... Let me read you this. How do you spell this? So I cheated. Wait, there was nobody in the room watching no you. No, was like, you could just pick up the phone and make phone calls. And- mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So I cheated and I got the job. And so I got to quit the American banker. And they said, you'll start in a month. And so great. So I went to California, visit some friends. I get a call. You got to come back now. We need you to start right away. And I'm like, what's going on? I get there and the woman hires me, who hired me tells me she's quit. <laughs> and it's a two-person department. So all of a sudden, I'm the new boss. Really? Yes. And they kept claiming they were looking for somebody to put over me, but they didn't want to pay. They could have me doing the work for mm-hmm. the underlings pay. Mm-hmm. And so basically, I was the copy chief there for like six years, and wow. I gave that you, test were, to were, a lot of people. Were, were you still calling mom and request <laughs> stuff going, hey? No. Well, then you see, you got a dictionary. Okay, yeah, I got, got a dictionary, dictionary <laughs> which is what you do. But, but I gave that test to a lot of people, and I made sure there was no phone in the room when they took it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> So hilarious. No, so basically, I worked there for a bunch of years, and I started selling humor pieces to magazines like uh, Spy and um, Entertainment Weekly. Okay. Back when there were magazines, mm-hmm. and um, pretty much, um, I don't know, about six years there, I um, 
had a writing partner at that time, and we were trying to get into TV from New York, which is kind of the hard way to do it. Mm-hmm. And he read in USA Today that this is 1996, and at that point, Comedy Central was all reruns and mm-hmm. right. whatever, that they've got a new boss, a guy named Doug Herzog from MTV, mm-hmm. and he's going to... Uh, have lots of new programming. So mm-hmm. my partner says, hey, why don't we just send in some of our stuff to him? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, fine. Waste your time. I don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Use the copy machine at your office, okay? Okay. <laughs> that so, was when you can back okay. then. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. So two weeks later, we get a call from Comedy Central, and we meet this very nice woman named Eileen Katz, who was Doug's number two, his mm-hmm. VP. And we met with her, and she told us that they were starting a show that would be a kind of a comedy journalism show. So they were looking for people with a journalistic background who did humor. Mm-hmm. And that show was going to be called The Daily Show. Holy <laughs> wow. shit. So, wait, wait. Wasn't... When you guys sent the script in, did you guys have an agent or anything? You just Nothing. sent it in. We didn't just... even send it script. We sent it samples of um, humor. But who, you just wrote, whose name did you put on the envelope to, to send um, it to? I put Doug Herzog, the president. The president. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. I threw that hat over the top. Okay. Mm-hmm. Go. And go. And they introduced us, or Eileen was very nice, and she introduced us to Madeline Smithberg, who was mm-hmm. the co-creator, and Liz Winstead, who was oh, the God, other. Oh, Liz Winstead. Exactly. Yes. Liz gave me my first showbiz job. Nice. Wow. So we chatted. We got along great. And they hired us to on this five writers total to start The Daily Show with Craig Kilborn at that And level. look, mm. I love Craig Kilborn because he had wow. this. St- look, you have I, terrible taste in men. No, <laughs> no. But you got to remember when that show. You first like came- white men? You like Ben Affleck? I heard you like Craig Kilborn. <laughs> but I liked. I liked. Craig, I like the snarkiness. Mm-hmm. Like it was just that it was the type of humor that I needed at that time mm-hmm. at Comedy Central because you know a lot of stuff was like slapstick. Mm-hmm. I needed someone who was just like who knew the audience was in on the joke mm-hmm. and it was like just snarky and just kind of smart and like an, you know that kind of like mm-hmm. humor that I like. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's I had, like guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So basically, you you were so you're Craig. You're you're him. I knew you that. were the voice. I was one of you the voices. You were the words spewing from his mouth. Well, I'm going to take a sip of water here, so somebody cover. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny you talk about the voice of the show. Mm-hmm. I had written for Spy and. My partner and I basically stole the Spy Magazine voice, all those adjectives, all that name-calling. Oh, really? That's the early Daily Show. My partner and I were the ones that really were writing that, and then the other writers started imitating us, though we were imitating them as well. Right, yeah, sure, sure. You know. Wow. So You're taking all the credit. Like, we are, did it. it no, we did idea. it. You have set. You have set the canon of the Daily Show. Mm-hmm. You were there. You mm-hmm. put That's the, the tone. You put That's the, the bricks in and put mm-hmm. the basement and put everything up. Oh, I'm so proud of you. You've done good. Ago. You did good, guy. Did <laughs> yeah, good. I'm sitting here in a four by four office with you two, and you're telling me I've done good. <laughs> You've done well. Done well for yourself. <laughs> so anyway, I was there about um, I don't know four years, and then um, got an opportunity to to go to uh, late night with Conan, which was a guild show at the time. Mm-hmm. The Daily Show wasn't guild, right. mm-hmm. so health benefits, more money, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And were you bumped up? Bumped up, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was a great gig. And I spent nine and a half years basically wow. writing monologue jokes every day, mm. four or five days a week. Now, what makes you decide, is there, is there a choice of yours as a writer to, to decide, I want to focus on the monologues as opposed to the actual sketches or whatever this Well, it was show? a choice of mine <clears throat> from the beginning, even at The Daily Show, because I just liked jokes. As mm-hmm. I, I said earlier, Team Groucho, mm-hmm. I have Groucho Marx's voice in my head. Okay. And sometimes I'll write a joke and I go, oh, I could hear Groucho saying that. Oh, interesting. So yeah, I've yeah. got, you know, like uh, one I've used a couple times, like uh, 
Bill Gates says he'll be appealing the decision, which is the first time Bill Gates has ever been appealing. <laughs> you know, that's like pure okay. Groucho. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And, and then there's others where you go, oh, that's Woody Allen. Right. Like, there was a story. Oh, I hear the, the staccato in mm-hmm. it, too. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, like there's a, I, and I've done a variation on this a couple times back when the Russian space program was always crashing in mm-hmm. the, I don't know, 2000s that... You know, their next effort, they're going to downscale it. They're not going to try to send a rocket to the moon. They're going to try to send a postcard to Minsk. (laughs) (laughs) And like Woody Allen, so I've got those in me. Right, right. But no, so basically I loved writing jokes. I still do. Mm -hmm. And I just honed them. Mm -hmm. And that's what they hired me for. Conan has a very distinct monologue crew and sketch crew. And there's some overlap. Mm -hmm. But he wants his monologue crew writing monologues. He wants to have that rock-solid thing. Mm -hmm. And so it's fantastic, and it's also deadening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you you use up all your creative juices. I did like three or four years in, and after that, (laughs) it was all craft (laughs) and (laughs) sneakiness. (laughs) So did that forever, and then um, Conan got The Tonight Show, and we all know what happened then. Mm -hmm. We came out to L.A., as I say, aboard the Titanic. So that's what brought you out here. That is what brought me out here. Oh, man, he said we got brought aboard the Titanic. (laughs) Titanic. (laughs) 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 So I came out here, and when it all blew up, I was just like, okay, enough. Um, let's let's try something different. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, about six months in, I go, "What the fuck was I thinking? Where's my paycheck?" <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but I picked. I then started picking up a lot of roast work. Um, oh, let's talk about that. That's okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, what do you know about the roast, Hill? Um, I've seen many of them. And what's your impression? Um, and it's funny because she was just talking about who, who I don't, you were just I, don't, I don't watch them because I always feel bad. You see? It's a male it's, thing. It, no, you know, and it's it's kind of like when I watched, when, in the old days, when I used to watch a lot of TV back, you know, back in the 80s and stuff. And mm-hmm. when we used to watch like the, um, at the Apollo, mm-hmm. like where you just, I just can't watch people just be, I just, something yeah. about it. Yeah. I don't know if it's a male thing. Some things I do that, like, you know, the Schroedenfrau where you just, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just taking pleasure in your downfall. But there's just <laughs> something about it because... I don't know. It's just sometimes certain things are mean, and even the person is in on the joke. Sometimes I would look at their faces, and you could tell, like, ooh, that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. Which is what you're after. <laughs> but no, You want a, them to stink. You do, because – and actually, the, the, the real goal of a roast joke is to sting two or three people at one time. Mm. It's like, you know, the trip – I can't even think of it. Can you give us an example? Of how I can give work? you a twofer, which is one of the best, delivered by Jeff Ross. I forget mm. who wrote it. Oh, Jeff is the king of that. Oh, he's, he's brilliant. He's actually got a new roast battle show coming on Comedy Central oh, okay, soon. Cool. So, but the joke is that um, Sandra Bernhard is in the audience, or mm-hmm. on the dais, pardon me, and B. Arthur is there as well. Mm-hmm. And one of the rules is the people you're insulting should be there. You're not doing stuff behind their back. Right. Okay. And Jeff goes, uh, Sandra, you're so ugly, I wouldn't fuck you with B. Arthur's dick. Dang. Wow. <laughs> okay, that's a twofer. Okay. That's that a twofer. A twofer. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and like a twofer I wrote uh, that was, I think, the Franco roast was, and this kind of cheats because Kevin James wasn't there, but... Um, Seth Rogen was there on the Franco roast. I think he was the host. And uh, Jeff said, you know, I loved you in, uh, I saw your movie um, Observe and Protect Mm -hmm. or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And it made me realize what a good actor Kevin James is. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, It's interesting. And see, one of the things, that's actually one of the things you're going to get me into the joke writing weeds here is Mm -hmm. um, you don't call him a bad actor. You... Interesting. You, you know, you kind of leave that little gap there for okay. the audience to make. Mm-hmm. So it's in your own imagination of mm-hmm. what you think that means. Exactly. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of rules to that shit. Interesting. A lot of rules. Yeah. And yeah. you kind of internalize them after a while. Okay. Wow. Okay. But like, you know, just to go down to the like the basic 
rules, if you're first starting out as a joke writer, use Twitter. Just write every day on Twitter. Hmm. It's you know, Get your chops up. Because um, it needs to be fast, concise anyway, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. And now the way I always write jokes, which is very old-fashioned, at least when you start, mm-hmm. is that two declarative sentences. Hmm. No questions, because then people are expecting an answer. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And Can you give us an example of that? Sure. Of a question joke? Or of a, of the, two declarative sentences. Okay. Yeah. Well, let me see. Um, <clears throat> Um, all right, this is kind of an elaborate version of it, but it's the joke in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, a, earlier today, a scientist announced that he found that female birds and female humans have the same sexual patterns. The scientist discovered this because every time he fucked his girlfriend, she'd take a crap on the windshield. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So two There's no okay. question. There's no, no question. question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And that joke isn't a perfect example of the next thing, which is that you want what they call your punch word or your gom-gom, your candy, to be at the end of each sentence. The most important word is usually at the end of each sentence. Hmm. But in this one, it does work because the phrase crap on the windshield, mm-hmm. and that should be the last word, but you know, every time they had sex, sex is still funny enough because mm-hmm. you're putting that image in their head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing. I think the best jokes for me are the ones that put this cartoonish image in your head, the equivalent of the anvil dropping on the coyote, mm-hmm. right. mm-hmm. you know, in the Roadrunner cartoons. Mm-hmm. Right. You're writing visually, you're writing punchy, you're writing short, mm-hmm. and you're writing funny, presumably. Because mm-hmm. oh, there's a lot of people, you talk about people who write, write comedy and stuff like that, and people just think, you know, people just naturally funny and they go up and just tell a joke, but there's craftsmanship Total behind craft it. Behind you it. know, and it's like, it's not until I started like, I don't remember what documentary it was, I think it was the one, The, the, sophisti- the Sophisticates? Oh, the aristocrats. Oh, the aristocrats. The aristocrats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that doc. Mm-hmm. And just because of that joke, and just watching that and other documentaries about you know comedy writers, comedians, like it's just a lot of work. Lot you just of assume all people it's just serious. naturally funny, and they just mm-hmm. go up and tell their jokes, and mm-hmm. oh, it must be easy. Like the fact that you're saying you gotta have to declare it, you rhythm, have this, there's a rhythm, pace, staccato, rhythm. and mm-hmm. that's why a lot of comedians they go out and they you know workshop their stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and clean those jokes up before they actually take that shit on the road. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think about doing stand-up with all these, you just comedy writing? That's I'm it. a writer. I just... Uh, you just want to just... I always want to be a writer. Yeah, the okay. actual performance is completely different. No, I'm, I'm, I'm what we... I have what, what they call in that bad movie, Mr. Saturday Night. Uh, <laughs> he said, he says to his brother, Billy Crystal, you got living room clams, little tiny ones. You're only funny in the living room. I got, okay. I got the living room balls. Okay, so. gotcha. No, so I just, I was, you know... It's just to me, it's just much more joy mm-hmm. in uh, creating it rather than dealing, doing crowd yeah, control sure. and doing all mm-hmm. that audience stuff. But I'm going to brag. I was actually at the roast where Gilbert told the aristocrats. Oh, you were there? Oh my God. Yeah. You know, he first. Do you want to tell your audience how it's uh, set up? Do you know this story? Mm. Do you know? Okay, go ahead. I don't know. It's. it's, it's I, I love it. Oh, well, I want to hear your version. No, no, I, I can't. I'm terrible at it. I like right. listening to other people. Right. Well, it, this is this is o- the October after 9/11. Okay. So it's been a month, maybe, and this is the Hugh Hefner roast. <laughs> and uh, actually, I'm going to go on a sidetrack here. Jeff Ross told a joke written by a guy named Mike Rowe that you know we're really honored to honor Hugh Hefner here. He's done so much for humanity, and da da da. da. Uh, actually, really, we wanted Larry Flint, but the Friars wouldn't spring for a wheelchair <laughs> ramp. Oh, <laughs> my <laughs> For Larry. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> but so Gilbert gets up there, and uh, it's, he's doing his spiel, and he goes, I was going to fly to California, and I told him I wanted a nonstop flight. They told me I couldn't get that. I could get one, only one that made a stop at the Empire State Building. <laughs> oh, and you know, the audience yeah, goes, exactly yeah, that. Ooh, that. Ooh, too soon. Too soon. Yeah, exactly. Interesting, interesting. And so... 
you know, they're going on, and just Gilbert just launches into the aristocrats. This family walks into a uh, talent agent's office, and the talent agent says, what are you doing? The mother... Re- and mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, I can't do it. But then he <laughs> proceeds to spend 10 minutes just absolutely it's killing. Be- um, go, go, audience, go just Google it. You know, aristocrat. Mm-hmm. Just go on there. Gilbert if you get a chance to see... Yeah, doing, doing it. Or if you get a chance to see the documentary about it, this one joke. And depending on who tells it, it's the, if, it's the same joke, but it's what you add to it... Mm. How long you? I mean, some people can make it really long. Some mm-hmm. people can make it really short. But the punchline, no matter who tells a joke, I always laugh every time because it's like you just the, the joke. Even though the person's telling the joke, mm-hmm. you're making it funny in your own head because you're just visualizing all the crazy stuff you can put into this <clears> joke. <throat> it's just one of my favorites. Let me, yeah. let me ask you a question, guy. As a joke writer, do you find it? Because I'm I'm fascinated by storyteller jokes. Mm-hmm. You know the Cosby's and the Priors and right. the, you know the the Carlins. Like how do they how do you see their 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 way of writing completely different than the the setup jokes they're joke? they're geniuses and um even if you're not a genius telling a story joke, you're reaching to a deeper place mm-hmm. but are, there's still an art to that and a craft oh, to that my God, yes, mm-hmm. I mean Cosby, you know one uh, this guy I know used to go like see him in Vegas mm-hmm. and uh, this I don't know ten years ago. And um, Cosby would be sitting there in a chair or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's his he, thing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and he would just be rambling. Mm-hmm. And then my friend said he kept waiting every night to catch when Cosby would go into what was the prepared thing. Mm. And he never caught him mm. because Cosby was so comfortable and so loose and so good. Mm-hmm. He could just do I mean, this this is the guy is Superman. Mm-hmm. But no, we what they... have met him. <laughs> <laughs> never met him. Um, nor have I taken a drink from him. But... <laughs> Lord. <laughs> but I'm willing to learn. Um, I got it on video. Okay. But, you did <laughs> but no, I mean, their stuff is better because because the setup joke is an art form, but mm-hmm. it is very te- it's very technical and less personal. Mm-hmm. There are jokes that only one person could tell, presumably, but a lot of the times one-liners are interchangeable. They don't come from the personality. They come from the technique. Here's right. a question I have for you. Um, this is something we could talk about. Now, I was just watching something on rap music on YouTube the other day and about how it's discovered that, I don't know, some, I think since NWA came out, it was really known that Ice Cube was writing a lot of those lyrics. Mm -hmm. Well, in the rap game, it's like, you're supposed to be the the one who writes those songs, right. the lyrics. So if you're not, you're not real. Right. So I'm always curious on how some, like Kevin Hart got a big slack, like when he came out and went, you know, platinum, so to speak, mm-hmm. that it, it was known that other, pe- other people were writing his jokes. And so a lot of the other hardcore comedians were kind of going in on him, like, well, he's not real. He's more of a pop guy if somebody's writing his jokes and he's not the real authentic person. Mm-hmm. But... Everybody, Eddie Murphy, all these people. Chris Rock's got Richard writers, Pryor, and he's a genius. You know Paul Mooney. And so yeah. Paul yeah, Paul Mooney, yeah, Paul Mooney, Mooney did Richard all some of Pryor's best yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I think that's artificial as a, you know, and it might come because of the, in the 60s with the whole Dylan singer-songwriter thing where you weren't allowed mm-hmm. to cover anyone, mm-hmm. that it had to be your personal expression. Mm-hmm. But comedians have always bought jokes. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, I wrote for Conan for 10 years, and I wrote toward Conan's voice. Sure. Mm-hmm. But it's his voice. It's his selection. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, you could give me all of Kevin Hart's material mm-hmm. and put me up there, mm-hmm. and you're not going to be getting me in Ride Along 3. <laughs> it's just not happening. Mm-hmm. The performer brings something to it. Sure. Right. you know. So no, it's... Besides which, if I say that having writers for comedians is bad, I'm taking bread off my table. Oh, yeah, so we don't want to say that. Right, mm-hmm. but, right. But no, the, the guy makes the choice. Chris Rock chooses mm-hmm. the jokes. Mm-hmm. And if he chooses a joke that doesn't reflect him, 
you know, he's hurting himself. Definitely. And actually, this is a great story. A friend of mine, Jesse Joyce, who is a brilliant stand-up, brilliant joke writer, mm-hmm. um, wrote for uh, the BET Awards mm-hmm. last year when I think Chris Rock hosted. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesse is very sensitive culturally, and he's like looking at the name of like the new rap acts or best rap something. He's going... I don't know who any of these are. This is, <laughs> I, I feel terrible. I can't write for this. He's, I'm a white guy. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And then um, Chris Rock comes in and picks up Khalifa? the list. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know any of them. Got a Wiz Khalifa joke, I'll tell you. Uh-huh. <laughs> Chris Rock comes in, looks at the name, so he goes, who are these niggas? Uh-huh. Where the hell are they? I don't know any who of these people. don't know nobody. <laughs> yeah. don't know anybody. <laughs> don't know anybody. No. Actually, this is my Wiz Khalifa joke when we did a thing on him. Uh, Jeff Ross told this one that, you know, Wiz Khalifa, you know, in an interview said that his first name was short for wisdom which is really bad news for his brother jisdom <laughs> <laughs> stupid <laughs> stupid <laughs> don't come at me with <laughs> so you spent a lot of time you know um in the writers rooms and mm-hmm. stuff like that and working your way up and then you were on conan for a while mm-hmm. so what 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 you what have you been doing since? Well, um, since one of the things I want to talk about was transitioning. Right. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, you know, it's funny. One of the things I've learned about transitioning that getting something new isn't as hard as letting go mm-hmm. of the old things, of your old habits. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like um, if you're an alcoholic and you've gone into AA, they tell you you can't get to hang out with your old buddies anymore. Yeah, because you may slide back into old patterns. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing. I have all these old patterns of hanging out with comedy writers and thinking in comedy terms. So I went and got my MFA in uh, screenwriting with a minor in poetry to uh, help me be a less comedy writer to think long form, gotcha. which I'm not going to say go get your MFA, but it really did help me see that writing is writing, sure. that I could get out myself outside of my limitations. Mm-hmm. So I started writing screenplays. And in the meantime, I was earning a living writing for award shows, the roast, that kind of stuff, which, again, was like old home. We could hang out with my buddies. We'd write filthy jokes. <laughs> but then I noticed I'm a guy that can't turn it off. Oh, really? And when I'm thinking flat in joke is like an intuitive process mm-hmm. where there's a flash that you're looking, you're waiting for that flash as you look at the material. Whereas, you know, from writing a script, mm-hmm. you're doing long form thinking, mm-hmm. you know, to get those synapses going. Is it synapses or synapses? synapses. synapses. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks. Um, but so I started writing a screenplay, several actually, and I have one that's unsold yet that I will sell. It's a uh, Christmas movie. Um, about uh, it's called North by North Pole, and <laughs> the title gets me the meetings, uh-huh. but I have to come up with a good enough script. But in any case, I am in LA, which is if you want to be a screenwriter, you really do have to live here. Mm-hmm. I know if you're successful, you can live wherever you want. But mm-hmm. um, one of my friends, a guy named Danny Boyle, who is not that Danny Boyle, no, but he is a director named Danny Boyle, mm-hmm. another than director named Danny and apparently Boyle? there's a couple in the guild with oh, that really? name. Yeah, I thought you had to have a specific. Well, he has a, uses his initial Danny, oh, like J. Danny Boyle. G or Johnny. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Mm-hmm. So he had directed two Lifetime movies, mm-hmm. and he said, "Oh, they want me to do a third, but I want to go in with my own script." Hmm. And so little bell goes off in my greedy head. <laughs> you should. And I said, okay, I got to think of a pitch for him. Mm-hmm. So I pitched him the idea, which we'll get to. Okay. Um, and he liked it. So I wrote up an outline. And then he and I sat down mm-hmm. and fleshed out the movie. Okay. And then I went off and wrote the first draft of sending him pages. It was collaborative. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, we're, we are co-writers. Mm-hmm. But we just had a different part of it. 
And then um, once we had a draft, he took it in to his bosses or, you know, his employers, and they liked it. And mm-hmm. they said, we love it. We're going to start. This was a week ago Friday. Mm-hmm. Oh, good Lord. Just, and the, I love just that. Happen, yeah. Mm-hmm. It just happened. It's hot off the presses. <laughs> right, Lois Lane? The ink, the ink is still. <laughs> it hasn't even dried yet. Exactly. Don't touch the paper. Don't, Don't touch the paper. No <laughs> smudges. And they said, oh, yeah, we're going to start shooting in April. And here are our notes oh, for a rewrite. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm in the middle of a rewrite right now. Actually, I, uh, Dan and I met on Friday and went over scene by scene of the notes. And then I started doing that. I got through 50 pages yesterday. (laughs) It's speed, baby. You you can fix it later. (laughs) Go to the pool. That coffee is... Yeah. Yeah. I keep looking at that bottle of Adderall going, break only in case of emergency. (laughs) Honey, I'll see you next week. I'll see you next week. So, yeah, anyway, the the film and this, young listeners, is the important part. It's the hook. Yes. They buy the title, they buy the hook. Mm-hmm. And the, the hook on this one, I'm going to watch Lisa as I say this. Okay. An evil fertility doctor, oh, she's keeping, she's stoning me, she's stoning me, <laughs> implants her own embryo in a woman huh. as revenge on the woman's husband. Shut Ooh. up. <laughs> That's good. That's good. When have you seen an evil fertility? Never. I mean, you've seen dude evil, uh-huh. like doing kind of crazy stuff from mm. Law and Order stuff that you see. Mm. But a woman doing some conniving and, and her okay. own. Tell me, tell me more. Her own baby. <laughs> tell me more. Tell me more. Yes. She mixes her eggs with the husband's sperm and puts wow. it in the woman. We was gonna have this baby, but you went with this other chick. <laughs> I'm gonna get you. Oh my god! Like, is there like? Is there murder involved? There is murder. Um, I murder mayhem. Murder mayhem and female on male anal rape. <gasps> what? As best as we can get away with on Lifetime, we're going to see what they catch. <laughs> really? Yes. Well, because was... usually with Lifetime, like a lot of times they have shows, you know, like when they deal with rape, which is a sensitive mm-hmm. topic. It's mm-hmm. like you never, you know, it's always the woman. But the fact that you're having the female. Oh my goodness! Yes, yeah, see, I'm I'm all about the you are just <laughs> you are going there. Oh my gosh! Well, I'm trying to go. Well, it's you know you're a writer. You know that stuff. You come up with half an idea, mm-hmm. and you follow, and you mm-hmm. see where it goes. Mm-hmm. And that's how this kind of happened. But afterwards, when I went back and read the first script, I remember Howard Hawks has this famous line that a good movie has three good scenes and no bad scenes. Mm. And I'm like, oh, I have three good scenes in this movie. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, one of which involves anal rape. Mm-hmm. One of which <laughs> I won't get into the others. Understood. But now I just like going through and making sure there's no bad scenes. Right, mm-hmm. right. Which, but. Man. I mean, was this, I mean, like, was this an idea that you had percolating for a while? but Or was it just instant? Like, I just came up with this and. I, that fast. I it mean. was pretty fast. No, I don't. When the movie started, it, when I first had the idea, it was that she was just going to fuck with the woman. She wasn't going to plant her own embryo. But as mm-hmm. I was doing the outline, that, which is the key, right. came along. Mm-hmm. Wow. But yeah, but it's. I watched a bunch of these, which is painful, mm-hmm. and tried to get my head in the genre mm-hmm. and figure out what are the points I have to mm-hmm. hit. You know, it's like you're building a car, you know, you're going to have four mm-hmm. wheels or. Whatever. I mean, because Lifetime, it's a specific audience, and they have mm-hmm. certain yeah. films that, you know, and once those films hit, I mean, people love them, mm-hmm. they will watch them over they have and a over again. budget that yeah. they make films for. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, 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 yeah. Their budget is like, as I said, they, <laughs> we got $9. Can we yeah. make this movie? <laughs> exactly. It's like we're reaching under the, the couch cushions for okay. dimes, you know. Yeah. We'll pay you as soon as we find the pizza. Uh, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So, anyway, I'm in the middle of that right now, which is amazing. And the interesting thing for, for me is that, 
and this is not to knock drama, mm-hmm. is that on a lot of levels it's so much easier than comedy because you need you need the same level, you need the structure, you need the mm-hmm. character, mm-hmm. but you don't have to add the special sauce. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I was going to ask you about that because when we're talking about transitioning from comedy to drama, you know, it for me it just seems like drama would be so much easier than comedy. I mean, just from looking at it, just from, yeah. like I said, from watching documentaries, talking to comedians, mm-hmm. and seeing them trying to craft that stuff, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh shit, you might as well just stick with drama and have some humorous moments. Well, well, exactly. They think you're a genius. If you, yeah. make them, if you make them cry and then give them a little laugh, Laughter. they go, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they think you're a genius. It, it, it does seem like it'd be a little bit easier to add tension than it is to, bat, to add yeah. a laugh. Or well, you know how you add tension. I've been watching thrillers, and what you do is you put the woman in the house, mm-hmm. and they just hold mm-hmm. it, and then she, you can see this on my microphone, my eyes shoot to the left. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Close up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the door opens, but it's not who she expected. Right, right, right. <laughs> and it's, oh, it's Bobby. Exactly. Yeah, someone else. Mm-hmm. But no, but it's, you know, it's been fantastic for me because it's just, I don't know, learning anything at my age mm-hmm. is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And the thing about, for those of you who do want to write comedy and are writing comedy, it's fantastic, but it is a young person's game mm-hmm. because your target demographic is young. Mm-hmm. And so eventually they, they'll look at you and you're in your 30s and you're thinking, hey. See, this is an ageism. Oh, totally. Right. This whole town is built on you ageism. You know, it's like you could be totally. older and hip and know everything but if they you don't keep care. up with, yeah. If you keep up with your social mm-hmm. media and you keep up, you know, your crowd of people, sure. you mm-hmm. can stay in the mix but like you, you can said, it's, it's hard, that perception though. yeah it is perception and i mean the my my thing has been that well it's like i've been up for jobs at the same shows over and over and mm-hmm. they hire somebody who's 25 years old mm-hmm. and i know i'm better than him or her mm-hmm. but they don't care mm-hmm. it's because they want the mm-hmm. young audience so they assume <laughs> well they can't afford you anymore <laughs> uh, they, they, they never ask so <laughs> How could they tell? Are we, you, heard, you heard me say, Hilly, I'm a, I'm a $2 whore in a $1 oh, world. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, but they go based off of what you were making before, and mm-hmm. they're like, oh, the late night's more. Level. We can't. I know. Well, late night's a little more flexible. They can. Uh, you oh, can know, they? Yeah. But because, yeah. But in any case, eventually, and this is true, whatever you're doing, whether you're a comedy writer or a cook or something, you're going to have that point in your life where you're going to have to change. Sure. And better you figure out something you really want to do mm-hmm. than get stuck doing something you don't mm-hmm. or trying to hold on to. And my friend Tracy Gamble um, used to be a big showrunner <clears throat> from comedy, like Eight Simple Rules. He created that mm-hmm. show and whatever. And he wrote this beautiful script that I read like a year ago. He's a showrunner on this show I'm doing with Pam right now. Mm-hmm. And he wrote this beautiful Fargo small little movie mm-hmm. that his agents refused to read. There you go. They refused to. They kept going, why are you giving this to us? You should write another pilot for us. Yeah, you're, you're polluting we your brand. We get to, exactly. Yeah. We could sell that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he yeah. said, Hilliard, I don't know what to do with this. I don't even know how I'm going to. And I said, do me a favor. Put it on the blacklist. Let's just see what happens. Mm-hmm. Put that sucker on the blacklist. Got an eight in a month. Wow. He already he had a contract. He got a new agent. Shut up. Everything. I was like, I told you, people need to see you in a whole new light. Yeah. You know, you sometimes you have to reinvent yourself, mm-hmm. you know. And that's why I wanted to have you on because people will put you in that pocket. Absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. so strongly, especially if you're successful at it. You're already working with all those big cats and doing the Oscars and all these other Emmy shows and all the roasts. They're like, how can he write? A movie for a lifetime. I know, and it, it, like he can't do it. And even worse, it's like they because you know, there's an Irish expression that if you get the name for an early riser, you can sleep all day. Okay, it means your reputation <laughs> does your work for you. Mm-hmm. Which in this case is bad because like if 
you know me and you're reading my lifetime script, you're just thinking this is hilarious. Oh, interesting. You know, because that's yeah, what you're expecting. Yeah, right. So that's why I had to, when uh, Danny, my partner, took it in, I said, you know, don't mention my background. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. And the thing is, we're talking of agents, I have not told my agent about this. Oh, really? And I'm not going to tell him until it's made. Oh, interesting. And then I'm going to say, well, we need to sit down and figure if you want me to stay with you or mm-hmm. maybe another agent in mm-hmm. this company. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm putting me up for Jimmy Fallon again for the millionth time. Mm-hmm is just not interesting. Wow. But yeah, because they want to keep selling what they're selling. Right. Of course. Because right. mm-hmm. it's worked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, are you, are you at a point now where you are really want to focus more on drama? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, it's, it's not that I don't like comedy. It just seems comedy doesn't like me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I and, told you, you hit 25 mm-hmm. like you did like well, I a did week ago. A week ago That's plus, yeah. No, <laughs> 24, I, I would have cast you. No, I, I would have hired you. <laughs> 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 now. So, but the thing, well, you know that you know, as, as you, you know, like you're making a documentary, right? Yeah. Have you ever made a documentary before? Uh, no. Isn't it? Fucking amazing to mm-hmm. do something you've never done before. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's yeah. so challenging. Mm-hmm. And I'm meeting tomorrow. As a matter, I have a meeting tomorrow on Monday with um, the director and producer, the guy who created the Wrecking Crew, the, the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what, Danny Tedesco. Tedesco did yeah. It, oh, it's a cool cat. Yeah. And it's just to talk to him about how he made it. Mm-hmm. You know, and to get some advice and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. but those are the things that I always do is just to learn more. Mm-hmm. That when I'm ready to get to that position, you know, I already am past all those other stages because we're in post. Wow. You know, I'm like, how did you do your post so I can do my post like you did, motherfucker? Because mm-hmm. your shit was tight. Right. <laughs> you know no, I mean? you imitate. You steal from the best. I Trust mean, yeah. me. <laughs> no, I mean, well, you know, every, mm-hmm. every, there's a formula, there's a template to everything. Yeah. Right. And yeah, mm-hmm. learn from the guys. So what's the next the drama piece you're working on now? You've got this Lifetime thing. Mm-hmm. What else you got that's as crazy as <laughs> fertility doctors and, uh, and planting? I'm going to take your well, legs. I got, I, well, I got the, the passion project right now that I've just been thinking about for years and mm-hmm. I'm finally starting to take notes on oh, is... Yeah. Uh, it's called the App. You ever hear of the Appalachian meeting? Their App. Uh, meet- 1957. Mm. J. Edgar Hoover still claims there's no mafia in America. Okay. Oh, okay. Yes. And uh-huh. so a bunch of my landsmen get together for a big meeting in a small town called Appalachian, New York. All these gangsters. Yeah, yeah. I did. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I, did, I just wrote a, uh, a pilot for these producers who have a deal at HBO, so I had to do all this research. On oh, okay. It. So you know. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So basically, a small-town cop who's had a grudge against the local gangster sees all these cars coming in, mm-hmm. all these big coral and pink Cadillacs mm-hmm. and Chrysler Imperials. Ah, oh, Italians. Uh, I know, I know. Our people. <laughs> oh, my gosh. In the, in the, in, <laughs> this is a classic setting, too. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. So you're out in the woods. And so he just like, starts taking down the license plates. Mm-hmm. And they're in their meeting. They're, they're playing cards. They're barbecuing. And he's like running the plates, which mm-hmm. is much slower in 1957. Well, so what happens is he, he just says, well, let's put up a roadblock. We know some of these guys are bad guys and we'll just ask to see their idea or whatever on the end. So like Vito Genovese, who the, mm-hmm. he had called oh, the meeting Vito. mainly to affirm that he was the new boss because he had had Albert, not Albert Anastasia was killed by Gambino. I forget who, who he had killed. No, he had, had shot at Frank Costello. Costello hadn't died, but decided to retire. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Genovese calls this meeting. I'm going to retire now. <laughs> Increased his skull with a bullet and said, yeah, where's my pension? My brain started spilling out a little bit, so I think I better like step away for a minute. <laughs> so Genovese drives out. They take his license, whatever, and they let him go. They got nothing on him. But the other guys are going, 
what's going on here? We don't want to see them. So a lot of them walk out the back door in their mm-hmm. pointy shoes and their, you know, their Hamburgs mm-hmm. and their camel hair coats, which are caught in the barbed wire later. Mm-hmm. And so they're running through the woods. Probably not running, probably just trudging. <laughs> so you have oh, this. Oh, they spread. Through yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, they found $100 bills all over the woods <laughs> into the spring. They're like throwing away their wads. Mm-hmm. And they're all picked up because, as the, the, the head cop said, there ain't no sidewalks in the woods. Mm-hmm. And he takes you know, they're all gathered. A couple of them got away. Maybe the number is uncertain. But he pulled in 70 of them. And yeah, oh yeah. And the rule is that if you stop for a policeman to show him your thing, and you got nothing to let you go. But if fleeing is, you know, considered probable cause, mm-hmm. um, so he's got them in there, and he is just looking and looking and looking for something to book them on. Hmm. And there really isn't anything. If the idiots had stayed put, then there was nothing because you know none of them even had outstanding warrants on them. But in any case, it became national front page news Mm -hmm. you know um that there was a cabal of italians Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. running the crime the country got together hey it was a family reunion (laughs) (laughs) well just hey hey the women couldn't come Uh they were busy that's what Mm -hmm. they were trying to say it was like a male whatever well well, you know the guy uh what's his name uh joe barbera who Mm -hmm. was the local sub boss who was hosting it had had a heart attack and every everyone told the same story we're going yeah oh well i was driving by and i you know, my old friend Joe had a heart attack, and I thought I'd stop in and see him and uh-huh. say hello. Yeah, all 70 of us. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Show respect. It's today. <laughs> and this, this other guy was a Buffalo boss named John Montana, who was very legit, had even run for Congress, um, told us, well, I, I was driving here with one of my trucks, and the windshield wipers broke. And I thought, oh, my friend Joe, he's got the soda trucks. He can help me with the windshield. And yeah, so I, I saw but I didn't see. I was playing cards in the garage with his wife, and all this happened. Mm-hmm. And I, all these nonsense stories. Oh my so are we going to see it from the inside, too, all those I hope, stories going on? I hope so. I oh hope so. Oh, my God. Um, but anyway, yeah, c- come back in five years when... Uh, <laughs> but that, that is my passion. Oh, right my there. God. I know. It's a great story. It is. It is. I mean, it's ne- it, they made one like kind of bad movie, I think, in like 1959 called... Mm-hmm. Big meeting at Appalachian, where oh, okay. you know the the guy who played the chief on uh, Get Smart, I think, mm-hmm. was the mob boss. Okay. <laughs> yeah, oh that's God. not real. Very bland, but <laughs> yeah. So I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying. I'm doing that, and, mm-hmm. and then I'm doing whatever job day jobs come along. I think I told you my last day job was I wrote for Abe Vigoda's funeral. So oh, when I read that, no, when I read that, I said, I don't feel you're like, did he really write <laughs> yeah, for yeah. fish? Yeah. He wrote that for fish. Mm-hmm. Also, Can you tell us about that at all? Sure. Well, uh, Jeff Ross um, is a um, big shot at the Friars Club, mm-hmm. and uh, Abe was a regular on the uh, dais and mm-hmm. was, I think, an honorary member. And a- Abe was Jeff's special target, and Abe loved it. He, Jeff would do these stories about Abe being dead <laughs> and <laughs> incomprehensible right. and senile, mm-hmm. you know, and Abe would play along and they loved each other. And anyway, so when uh, Abe died, Jeff hosted the funeral, did mm-hmm. the eulogy. So they had the body in the casket up at the Friars Club in New York. And I remember Jeff, uh, I didn't give him this line, but Jeff, like, uh, you know, he just taps the coffin and goes, Abe, you're looking as good as you've looked in a while. Uh, <laughs> but the, the, um, he, and then he told the story about telling jokes about Abe being old. Mm-hmm. And then he said, and finally I have one last Abe Vigode's old joke. And it's, uh, you know, Abe, you had a fantastic, fabulous career in the movies. You were the only actor in The Godfather who was old enough to play God's father. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. And he was That's the traitor, too. That scene, that right. famous scene, it was like, because oh, at the time, I think when The Godfather, I think 
the TV show Fish might have been on. I know, no, no, it didn't come it out until later. Until later. But I just remember, like, you know, I grew up with that. Mm-hmm. You know, you just mm-hmm. knew that face and, yeah. you know, and that classic scene when they're like, when they, you always think the Godfather tells them, like, whoever comes to you mm-hmm. and tries to set up a meeting, mm-hmm. that's the dude. That's your, you know. And, of course, at, you watch that famous scene. And, of course, you know, I watch the Godfather once every three months. Mm-hmm. You know. Have you seen the deleted scenes that are, like, on YouTube? Well, I've got like the whole box set. So, do you have the scene where the the mob boss, who's only mentioned, uh, Don Corleone, goes to his deathbed, mm. and he and the guy tells him or ask him to like talk to Satan and cut a deal for me? What? Yes, look I'm at go- that. Okay, so I'll have to look on the yeah, scenes? it's on YouTube. Oh, look YouTube. at all the deleted scenes. Okay, I have to look at oh, the deleted okay. scene yeah. parts. That's blasphemy. <laughs> but it's this fantastic scene. Aww. He's like, he's convinced Don Corleone can, uh, Don Vito can, you know, cut a deal All with right. the devil. Talk to Satan, make it happen. Mm-hmm. I bet mm-hmm. you the Don could have did it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so funny. Like, when I, like I said, when I read that in the bio, like he did not write stuff for Ava. <laughs> Oh, I've got to pay them bills, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Hillier needs his ten percent. You know, <laughs> I'll give you the. Oh, never mind. <laughs> never mind. So, what else is going on? No, dude. I mean, like I said, I wanted to have you come on and talk about, um, like I said, your career, the mm-hmm. comedy, and transitioning into drama because mm-hmm. that I can't tell you how many people we meet who have either done it or in the process of doing it, mm-hmm. and and it seems like. Almost every time you hear about somebody who's won some Emmy or some whatever, moving from movies to TV or whatever, with some comedy writer right. or something who now transitioned into right. drama. Right. Hmm. Right. So we'll see where you are in five years. We'll see. <laughs> the Lifetime Movie Awards, it's a, uh, it's a tampon. It's a gold-plated <laughs> tampon. There's no Lifetime Music. We're just make, just make one. <laughs> but hopefully your, because your, your, your gangster movie sounds like a movie that would have Aye, just that's full of listen, stars in the listen. Well, that, it's got, Listen. Now I just got to write. I just got to put it on paper. That's the easy part, right? So you still, right now, still the research. For, well, have, I'm basically I'm in the outline phase, right, phase now. right now. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I have read so many books about criminals whose last names end in two vowels. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> like Luigi. Yeah. Like, hey, man. <laughs> man. It's like when I was doing the research for Griselda Blanco and all mm-hmm. that. Like every Colombian gang. Like I knew. Like I had people's addresses. Mm-hmm. People in prison. Mm-hmm. Where I was going to go, and I was like, people were like, "Girl, you better." She not go was supposed to go to. Where Look, was I was going to Columbia. She was going what to was Columbia. this show? It was no, it was it was a, it's a script buster. You know what? I might rework it because she got she got killed a couple years ago. Yeah. You got an ending. Grisel, yeah, no, I already had an ending. Uh, it was the best ending ever because everybody from like you know the the the, the whole entire Colombian circuit, everybody's pretty much either dead or in jail. <clears throat> she was the only one that was like got out prison and was living her life. Probably had money stashed mm-hmm. out there. You know she had and I was like, that was my ending. Like that was the beautiful ending. Like you know, the last shot was the dude is in jail and she gets off the plane. Well, let me yeah. ask you this though. So, you know, just living, and then I was like, "That's the best ending." And then the bitch got done. Mm-hmm. Griselda, how are you gonna get got well, before you, I even get the movie deal? You going? make you make that the opening scene. That's, Maybe I, do I the have score to, I have to. I like when she got killed a few years ago. I had to actually. I'm gonna have to change the ending. But let me ask you: before you change the ending, can't you just do the movie about that part of her life? And, and then a little epitaph at the end that says, yeah. "I thought about it, but we'll see." I'm gonna rework it because now that she's dead. Uh, I am free to do whatever story I want to yeah. do. Now and do uh, now, because yeah, because I was mm-hmm. going through a lot of lawyers. I was like, literally, I had bought court transcripts so mm-hmm. that I could legally had a lawyer go through my script mm-hmm. and say, what can I legally use without being, you know, having a hit put on my head? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna go to Columbia. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna talk to her. What gangster would not <laughs> want to be as the lady Scarface? Who would not want to talk to another female mm-hmm. and tell her side of the story? Mm-hmm. 
I was ready. And you didn't then, bring Sean Penn with you, did you? No, I did not. <laughs> but after a while, the producer's like, we don't want to go down. I'm like, bitch, I got a passport. We can go. We can do this shit. You ain't got to. I will pay my own way down there. And then everybody's like, you might not come back. I said, you know what? She was not going to do that to me. She wants to tell her story. Yeah. And it just so happened that... She got whacked. <laughs> going to the bakery. I still think you can going to the find bakery. a way to make it work without the fact of what. No, no, I still will. It's something like now. Like it's one of those things we talk about when you're doing bios or you're writing certain stories that are have like based on real life mm-hmm. events, and you mm-hmm. have to be very careful in terms of family and stories sure. and things like that. Getting the rights to stories, but now as free. <laughs> to write what I want. And what I love is the research part. So I'm really are her, fascinated. Are her kids all dead too? Uh, she has one left. Mm-hmm. Um, I know from talking to the, the agent that arrested her, mm-hmm. um, basically he was having some know, issues. They were the ones doing all her dirty work. Her son's that? name was Michael Corleone. Oh, really? boy. Okay. Two on the nose. All right. <laughs> you know, that's why they call her the godmother because mm-hmm. that's, that was, was she, they were influenced by that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, you know? Take it from the Italians. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Although that does not exist. The mafia does not exist. <laughs> An organization of Italian churchmen no, doing charitable works. But doing charitable works, visiting our friend. But just you doing that research must have just been fascinating just oh. to just to see all the stuff that was going on oh, and yeah. the excuses and just... Well, the fascinating thing is, especially with The Godfather, the myth that the mafia never did heroin. Mm-hmm. You know, they never sold, and it, you look, Lucky Luciano was arrested in 1916 for selling heroin. <laughs> Really? So that lie goes back right, a long way right. because there, there's heroin in mine too, and there is, and it's mm-hmm. right at like 1981 when mm-hmm. um, um, one of the mob guys in Philly, you know, got killed, and all yeah, of a was, one of the others took they over. They blew up the chicken man in Philly last yeah. night. Yeah. yeah, and um, and so heroin was not supposed to think, but that's right. actually the thing that my guys are actually right. yeah. dealing at the time. And the few people that read it, well, they weren't even doing heroin. Like, yes, they were, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. <laughs> no, they, just, they just lied about they it. They just lied about it because yeah. that's that was where they're making the most money at. So, mm-hmm. anyway, that's man. It's interesting. Well, if you get um, that movie made, I'd like to play the part of the uh, <laughs> the person at the police station who he has to call to say, "Look at these license plate numbers." Uh-huh. <laughs> well, Although I don't know if there are any black people. Uh, no, it's a, <laughs> black you, you play it as a stereo- stereotypical fifties <laughs> black woman. You know, <laughs> you know just, the no, I, I, shit. I, Come no, on, I'd be like the cool one, like you no. know, where we're kind of blending in and mm-hmm. coming through. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe not since it's back in the fifties. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> your next movie. Your next movie. Mm-hmm. Never mind. <laughs> Well, you know, actually, in my research, and I can't use this because it's it's just too far off, but mm-hmm. um, I think this was touched on in Billy Bathgate, but uh, Dutch Schultz had this lawyer named Dixie Davis. Uh, what a great name. Yeah. Love that name. Yeah, white Southern guy, I guess, going yeah. by Dixie. But he went graduated from, I don't know, Fordham or Columbia and was at a white shoe law firm downtown mm-hmm. and quit to represent the Harlem numbers runners. Oh, really? Make that money. Uh-huh. Make that money. Yeah. Right yeah, it's a great story. And then when, um, I'm trying to remember who it was, was it Dutch Schultz? Uh, because Prohibition ended, moved in on the Harlem number runners. Mm-hmm. He basically had Dixie Davis be his guy. Mm-hmm. But the fascinating story is this white Southern guy, he's hired by these guys to represent them. And so he always made a point in court of just flailing his arms and just, you know, big and loud, et cetera. Right. And then he'd go in the back room and pay the judge. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do it for sure. Everybody's looking uh, Exactly. Yeah, they off. want to make sure they're getting their money's worth right. their lawyers. Tell, tell them about our friend Paul Gio, who's one of the co-EPs on um, The Librarians, is doing a new show. Tell them about Oh, the yeah, the, the, the Black 22s, yeah, mm-hmm. which is basically about the, the formation of the first black 
police officers in St. Mm-hmm. Louis, oh, and how wow. at that time they couldn't wear the police uniforms, hmm. so they had to like work as police officers in their communities in plain clothes. In plain wow. clothes you know, so this is going to be really and interesting. David, um, Oyelowo plays, yeah, it, plays the lead. Oh wow! Well, yeah, I think he's going to be. He's one of the producers. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's just producing. Right I think now? he's producing right now. I think now. he's going to be in the film. They might have sure. to do the cat, but it's kind of like the the way that Paul was. Uh, Described it to us and was pitching mm-hmm. last time. It's like it's like imagine like the Black Untouchables, you mm-hmm. know, happening in real real life mm-hmm. and that time period. So mm-hmm. anything that has to do with like gangsters or prohibition or historic stuff, I love that shit mm-hmm. because it just gives you a glimpse of you know because we always think of America as like oh it's just like no we was doing some dirty rugged mm-hmm. shit some grimy mm-hmm. shit and a lot of that shit was built on liquor, mm-hmm. drugs, prostitution, mm-hmm. and you might want to talk about, you know, George Washington cherry tree, but we got we a gully country <laughs> yeah. and we done some dirt. George Washington had we a still too. Dirt. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> did. This country has done some dirt and y'all need to recognize it. And plus we dressed better back in those days too. Are you kidding me? Amen. You could have been poor, broke and couldn't have had nothing, but you was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know you see five year olds in say you know ties, yes. you know, and yes. little fedoras, little Crease- the little, little knickers shorts. on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, yes. look at that shit. Have, have you checked out on uh, Netflix Peaky Blinders? Yes, I absolutely love it. Do you it. like it? I love it. Okay. I'm like halfway through the second season. It's, it's in fantastic. my queue. It's in my so summer queue. Now, now you, know, you know how the guy pitched it. Mm-hmm. It's a Western. He pitched oh, it I as a Western? That. I yeah. could see that. He said, yeah, it's set in whatever town, Manchester or Birmingham. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he goes, it's a Western. It's like a gang with a saloon. Uh-huh. And another gang that they're up against. That's true. The cops or okay. whatever, right? Okay. Yeah. Huh. No, I I love that movie. And the guy the head guy is really great. Oh I mean my God. Uh, what's his name? Uh, something Irish Cillian. Oh my god, with his gorgeous self, Cillian. Yeah. Come on now. For you horror people, you know who Cillian Murphy is from twenty eight days later. Come on. No, he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. No, and and then all the the other actually one of the guys who played the gypsy mother's illegitimate son or her first son that the, mm-hmm. Jeffrey Postlethwaite mm. I'm dropping names here he follows me on Instagram because oh, really? I do lots of shots of In-N-Out and apparently he's an In-N-Out burger fan <laughs> really? so, this is LA <laughs> there's an In-N-Out subculture that's his yep. dream okay. one day mm-hmm. he's gonna come to America uh-huh. <laughs> and go to an In-N-Out, In-N-Out burger. burger that's funny no. Oh but no god. that's a fantastic show that's bizarre. oh my god well thank you for so much for being on guys yes. my pleasure Give it so much you. to meet you yeah. I told you we're just gonna be having a conversation yeah, just us talking okay with all these shit. Kit Kats and I wouldn't have worn pants if I'd known. Anyway. <laughs> Don't tell anybody you have them on now. <laughs> We're just pretending we have them. Okay. We know Vicente's naked. We all know that. <laughs> yeah. He was twerking on the table okay. earlier. You know. He's like, he's just like, shh. <laughs> Excuse me while I whip it out. <laughs> so silly. So where can people find you, guy? I heard you. You're on the gram. So. I'm on the Twitter, Nicolucci1899, because that's where all my jokes come from. Okay. And uh, yeah, Twitter's pretty much it for me these you said days. 1899? 1899. <laughs> Easy to remember. <laughs> Just like my jokes. <laughs> okay. And Anagram, same thing? Uh, uh, what is on Anagram? I think it's Guy Nick Picks or Guy Nick Coach. I don't know. Uh, I wish I could remember. There's so many social <laughs> okay. media things. Yeah. I can't. No, you can find me on the unemployment line. That's what you can find. <laughs> What about you, Lisa? Where are you at? Oh, always. You'll find me on the tag on Twitter all the time. You'll find me on Saturday Night Sci-Fi, Friday Night Horror. You can find my stuff, my uh, film reviews and critiques on Bitch Flicks. And, um, of course, you can always find me here. But Twitter is where you find me most, where I tweet about shows I like, mm-hmm. clapbacks, randomness, you know, Sophista Ratchet. Sophista Ratchet. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> and I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow the show, Screenwriters RR, on Twitter. Um, you have any questions? ScreenwritersRantRoom at gmail.com. Hit us up. Um, Before we go away, she always interrupts me. I'm sorry because I just, I just, no, I meant to say it last time, the last thing, but I just want to give a shout out to um, the guys from Tribe Call Quest and all the people from hip hop. Um, Our condolences for Fife Dog because, you know, if you're a hip hop head from back in the day, those seminal records from. Uh, Yes, they did. Yeah, Tribe Call Quest. By the way, I want to give a shout out. Dean Martin's dead, and everyone, I just want to give a shout out to everyone in the Rat Pack. I know Dino (laughs) died, and we're feeling bad. Dino. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so just, you know, for our hip hop heads out there, you know, it just, that was something shocking. Like, literally, I was on Twitter and, like, within a minute of hearing about it, like, it happened. I just saw it and I couldn't believe it on the timeline. I mean, I knew, you know, he was dealing with diabetes and stuff like that, but it's like when you got somebody from your generation mm-hmm. who made so many records that, you know, that still slay, that I will hold him up against any rapper today, oh, music, you know, from boom, Tribe Called Quest, boom, but. Boom. That's hey, right there. you know, hey, so shout out to Fife Dog, you know, rest in power, and we'll be playing those records. That's what's up. Mm-hmm. So, um, like I said, <laughs> follow us on Twitter <laughs> and all that shit like that. <laughs> Interrupting my flow. Um, <clears throat> please go on and give us a five-star you, you review on, on you iTunes. On, you on point, Hill? I'm back. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> that was, my, that was our five Q-tip <laughs> moment. Me. You messed it up. Oh. Never mind. It's gone now. <laughs> You're supposed to say all the time, Lee. That's time, just too Lise. late. It's too late. The moment is gone. No. All the time, Lee. No, it's too late. All the time, no, Lee. It's, too, it's too late. <laughs> say it three times. I don't care. It's too late now. The moment has passed. <laughs> I didn't know what you was going at. Anyway, <laughs> big shout out to all the countries out there, you know, following us. Like you said, we're all over the place. I'm not going to name y'all again because y'all don't deserve it. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, appreciate you guys following us. Uh, five-star review us on iTunes because we need that for the Matrix. And... Um, Everybody join in with us for 2016 because we didn't do it earlier. Um, when I point at you, say 2016. Why, why did you roll your eyes at me when you said it? Like you, <laughs> because you didn't do like it Like you turned your head purposely at me. Because <laughs> you didn't do it. <laughs> anyway. So point at me again and I'll say <laughs> All right, we'll say it. All right, here we go. I got it. This you time. can join in too. For okay, something. 2016. I so got it. on this show, we keep it real. Mm-hmm. We keep it opinionated. And mm-hmm. We keep it what, everybody? 2016. 2016. Peace, y'all. Ciao. Let the beast about the cage That light about the dark Can you build the inferno From an itty bitty spark Coffee shop hustlers Rise with the cream A million of the writers Same Hollywood dream Your pen and paper All like bullets in the gun Write what you feel Say what you want In the red room We say what we say We do what we feel We gotta keep it real In the red room All about the crap So look, if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get in. Mm-hmm.